Join us again as we bring you exciting thrills and adventure, rip-roaring comedy, and shoot-'em-up westerns and gangbusters. Next time, when your imaginations will be invited into the theater of the mind with WBW Theater. Until they happen. Tales of Tomorrow. Story number 11. Martians Never Die by Lucius Daniel. This is your host, Storman Thor, saying hello for ABC. What is the ideal bodyguard? The most ferocious looking, the most efficient killer, or the most devoted? On Earth, you might find a combination of all three, but he'd never be as effective in the long run as the curious creature which came back from Mars with Dr. Clyde Curtis in the year 2512. We could very soon sense the unique qualities of this pet, one uh, Shuttle by name. The inspiration for a story in Galaxy magazine called Martians Never Die. Circular, and there is an inner room, a barren circle with unbroken walls, three feet in diameter, and entirely open to the sky at the top. But the only access to it from the ground level is a door of steel, four inches thick, with a series of small holes drilled through the top. The outer room is a narrow passageway which completely encircles the inner chamber. There are no windows, no furnishings. The wall broken only by another door that leads to the street. A fluorescent tube gives it cold light in the narrow space between the two doors, and under it stands Hal Stern and Fay Curtis. And she looks beautiful, neat, comfy, and affluent, and they're both nervous. I'm frightened, Hal. No, no need to be. Just to suppose Clyde Curtis comes back. He hasn't come back the last four years. There's no reason to think he'll come back this time. I wouldn't throw this grim place if you hadn't... Don't, 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 Well, why can't you forget Clyde completely? You can't expect me to. Not until I feel absolutely certain that he won't return. I said himself. If I don't get back from Mars by the second year, he said, I'll probably never make it. Well, it's a little thing to ask. To wait for 15 minutes once a year. It's a lot to ask, considering the way I feel about you. Now, let's have an end to this nonsense. Let's have him declared legally dead, and then we can get married. Oh, Who are you? I'm from the Telegram. So they're sending cub reporters now. I'm no cub. I've been with them a whole year. You're a little early. Wait outside. Well, uh, what time is he supposed to come back? At 3.44 and 29 seconds, if he comes. How can you spot the exact second that way? But because that's the time when the solar currents are the most favorable. Mm. Once a year, huh? Yes, that's right. You're Mrs. Curtis, aren't you? I am. Hey, you know the principle on which Dr. Curtis got to Mars? I mean, uh, it, it sounds like fourth-dimensional stuff, something. <laughs> well, it's not fourth-dimensional, and I'm afraid it's too complicated to explain. Hey, didn't you get a little sore? 
Doctor's taken off for another planet that way and leaving you behind? That's an impertinent question if I ever heard one. Hey, you're Mr. Stern, aren't you? I am. And you helped Dr. Curtis finance this Mars project, huh? I have been his friend and financial advisor for many years, yes. Is that all? What do you mean by that? Yes, sir. Hey, where does that other door go to? To the projection room. Could I, uh, take a look inside? A diesel tractor couldn't pull that door open. Well, how the dog get out if he does come back? He'll open by no matter cursor. The steel will come into the projection chamber at tremendous speed. Air compression will open the door and act as a cushion for the steel at the same time. Because those little holes at the top of the door are part of the system, huh? Yes, the air will come through those holes with a whistling sound. Give you a little warning, huh? That sounds very much like an insinuation that I don't... Oh, please, Sam. Hey, Hey, what's that noise? Oh. The air pressure. He is back. Oh, brother, I get a break. There they stand, all three faces, and his fascination with the heavy steel door is slowly and noiselessly forced open. The cub reporter is aglow with his good fortune of stumbling into a major story. The lady contemplates her husband she had never expected to see again across Mr. Stern is our man. For reasons of his own, Mr. Stern has not wanted Dr. Curtis to reappear, and the fascination on his face is mixed with other emotions. He is saying to himself, It can't make any difference. It must. Steel door stands wide now. The rush of compressed air is receding. The gray power of the sphere is sinking slowly into view. To rest on the floor of the projection chamber. The stern hat swings outward directly behind the steel door. It's the moment when Dr. Curtis should appear, but there is no immediate sign of him. That there is only this creature slithering through the hat. Oh, what is it? Move back, Harry. What if it's a jump? It's a martian. It must be a martian. Well, if it's Clyde. Something happened. Oh, no. It's not. I mean, look. There's Dr. Curtis behind us. Curtis? Clyde! Hey, look out for the thing. Kind of ah, look out! Ah. Oh, Clyde, it's all right. Ah. Doctor, it's all right. Where have you been, darling? Why did you stay so long? Later, say, we'll talk about it later. Are you ill? No, but I must rest. Home. How about a word for the press, Doctor? Can you tell me about that, that thing? I'll have a good many words for the press, son, later. Oh, not even a statement? Don't worry. I'll see that you're given due credit for your patience. Have you, uh, got a word for an old friend, Clive? Oh, hello, Al. Hello. If, uh, you move that beast out of the way, I'd like to shake hands. A shopkeeper won't bother you. He'll never bother any friend of mine. I must get home, though. Please, say, Help me to the car. Light has already formed between Stern and the beast. Fessel has been steadily eyeing the old friend and financial advisor. Stern's scalp developed a chronic tingling sensation. There's a strong leather odor as the creature brushes past Stern and the lump to the door. The, the thing is 
grew in the manner of a frog, except it stands five feet high while flopping on its powerful haunches. And the feet are different, too, these feathers and up like those of Mossadors. Follows its grotesque form through the door. Imagine his state of mind as he finds himself carrying the rear seat of the car with it. Things grew worse for Stern as they arrived to Curtis' home. Faye appears not to notice him at all. Her attention is entirely centered on Clyde. Uh, Faye, please, please don't bother me now, Hal. I'm fixing some soup for Clyde. So hang the soup. Listen to me. We've got to find time for a little private discussion. About what? About us, of course. About what we have to do now that Clyde is back. What we have to do is take care of it. He's sick and mutant. Well, so do I. I'm sorry, Hal. That's the way it is. Suppose I just tell him the way things have been between us. Well, I... I think that Clyde would understand. <laughs> you don't know Clyde. Oh, please, Hal. I will stay with him and look after him as long as he wants me. You can handle the situation according to your own standards. You bet I will. Meanwhile, you might cooperate until Dr. Anderson gets here and we find out how sick he really is. You certainly couldn't think of bothering him now. Well, the lady is leaving, Mr. Stern. Flat, and he's smoldering. Oh, one hardly feels sympathy for him. He's old enough to know that even Lloyds of London will not ensure the affections of a woman. But now he turns quite naturally, if you like, to the thoughts of men. If Clyde lacked the common courtesy to get lost in the void, then he, Mr. Stern, will have to put him out of the way. This will have to be done before Clyde gets around to revoking the power of attorney he has thoughtfully delegated to his old friend. So, the decision is made and immediately becomes irrevocable in Mr. Stern's mind. It is only a question of how. With what a splendid sense of determination can a man will himself to destruction. Mr. Stern felt in the kitchen for a time, but he is attacked back to the living room by a strong slammer and finds himself facing the awesome consequence of fame. Public attention. The press and the curious ones have beaten a path to the door of the man who not only got through Mars, but made it back. If Dr. Curtis right to depend on rest and quiet, he will have a little chance to live. Al, will you please take care of those people at the door? It's impossible to hear yourself think. I don't think there are more than 250. So I take a chair and drive oh, them away. Oh, Make them stop pounding on the door. Why must people be so inhuman? I'll do what I can. No, no, come back. Will they go away? No, no, I don't think so. Clyde is new. All right, then I'm going to call the police. The police won't drive away the press. Oh, can't they stop that? Clyde is so weak, he can hardly take this seat. Go bring him in there. Dr. Anderson. Oh, thank heaven. Let him in now, quickly. With help, if you conjure your own nerves a little. Come, come, Stern. Take off the chain, bones. Just making sure you're not a reporter, Doctor. Yeah. Uh, now, where's Clyde? Uh, he's over there in the chair, Dr. Anderson. I'm afraid he'll have to be taken to a hospital. No, no hospital. Why not? This condition is only temporary. How do you know? Are you an MD? 
Hey, open this shirt all the way. I'll get my stethoscope out. Uh, what have you done to yourself to get in this condition, Clyde? You... Ah. It's all right, Chuck. It's all right. Dr. Anderson is a friend. Hmm. Well behaved, even if it does look a fright. Well, here now, let's, let's listen to the pump. I'm told there's a stand out there, the difference in gravity between Mars and Earth now. Mm-hmm. And that awful crowd outside. It'll come to the crack in the floor. Mm, be quiet. Maybe there's nothing wrong, Andy. The Latinese told me exactly what to expect and what to do. Latinese never heard of them. They're the intelligent race on Mars. Quite similar to men, but smaller. What is this thing with the Martians? Oh, Shepard and his breed are used as pets. Hmm. Oh, there we are. Uh, who's Latinese? Uh, any doctors among them? They're incredibly advanced in ways we'd never suspect. They told me I'd feel this way, and that rest would be the only cure. Well, why aren't you in bed, then? <laughs> rest, I said, not collapse. Matter of fact, I should be taking a little walk soon. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, nothing seriously wrong. I'll, uh, I'll leave some pills. But say, you see, he doesn't take more than one every three hours. Are they powerful? Yes, quite powerful. They'll have him back to normal in a couple of days. Call me if I'm wrong. I'll let you out, Doctor. Oh, are you staying here, Sam? Yes, and don't worry. We'll see Clyde get plenty of attention. You better support him if he's set on taking that stroll. Right now, that heart is working pretty hard. I'll walk him out and back and let him sit by the ravine. Things are progressing nicely for Mr. Stern. Dr. Anderson has unknowingly provided the method for murder. The police arrive and inform all that they are quarantined until health inspectors have examined Dr. Curtis. Thus, no interruption. The crowds continue to mill about in the street, maintaining an air of confusion. There remains only shuffle. And that creature must be disposed of before Stern can deal with its master. Mr. Stern concentrates on the problem and examines the monster carefully. Now, how would it defend itself? It has no teeth and therefore no bite. A creature of his size would hardly be equipped with a sting. Its haunches and arms look powerful, and the suction cups on its fingers would make a grip difficult to break. On the other hand, it must have a thin skull. Adjusted to the slight atmospheric pressure of mine. The beast returns his stare malevolently and inches closer to his master, Dr. Curtis. It is somehow aware of Stern's intent. Curtis dozes in his chair and Stern waits for him to wake him. Waits until after dark.
The man in there told me to move about where I'd have trouble with my legs. I'll help you. Uh, if your beast will let me. I've got to let him support me. Yeah. Certainly keeps a close watch on you. Amazing creature in many ways. Yeah. I'll just lean on your shoulder, Hal. Get out of your body, Are you sure it's all right to move around? It's necessary, my dear. Where are you going? Uh, out to the garden. Is that all right, Clyde? Well, it is, but it's cool out there. Your old bank is still at the edge of the ravine. It'll be pleasant to sit there again and contemplate the stars. Uh, are the stars out? I think so. All right, then, darling, go ahead. I'm just fixing something for Hal and me to eat. I'm about ready for a little food. Don't let anything stop you, Faye. Stars are uncovered. Perfectly clear sky. Dr. Curtis moves slowly to his bench by the ravine and looks up as though in meditation. Mr. Stern continues to stand facing him, and the peak carefully takes up a position between its master and the yawning ravine falling abruptly away into the night. Chuckle fixes an adoring gaze on Dr. Curtis and sits motionless. Even his stern moves nervously about. Why'd you stay on mine so long, Clyde? I wanted to learn as much as I could. I found out that their civilization has advanced at least a thousand years beyond our own. And there's no violence of any kind. Crime is unknown. How can that be possible? The psychopathic criminal is treated for his disease. And there's no poverty to create crime in general. As for the power seekers, there is no power to seek since the government is not governed. And they don't even have money. Their needs are produced in abundance. An individual merely presents a service card to take all he requires. You mean to say that nobody on Mars ever gets cleaned up and throttled his wife? It might happen. But the one who's killed dies only in body. His mind and spirit will be transmigrated into the body of the attacker, and the criminal is transformed into his own victim. That you'll never have people believing unless you're able to show how it's done and give demonstrations. Oh, unfortunately, I can't do that. The Latinos were free with their explanations, but they were beyond me. Uh, don't ask me to talk anymore. Hal, making me very tired. Oh, oh I'm sorry, Clyde. Well, you uh, rest up a little. I'll just move around for a while and soak up the beat. <laughs> Dr. Curtis is slumping back in his seat almost dreadfully, and in a moment he is staring fixedly at the stars. Chuckle is apparently filled with anxiety for his master and watches him even more intently. Mr. Stern is pleased to note that nothing he does seems distracting to the beast. After walking about the carriage for a bit, he moves close to Chuckle. The creature pays him no heed. Mr. Stern picks up a rock and tosses it into the ravine. The creature is unmoved. Mr. Stern picks up another rock, a larger one, and again makes his go to throw it into the ravine, but he suddenly reverses his motion and brings it down crushingly on the back of the creature's head. Chuckle makes no sound, and a slight push 
topples the creature backward into the ravine. The congregation seems to falling over the road. And besides, the law can't punish a man for killing a non-human. Quite satisfied with himself, the system leaves Dr. Curtis and his friends and souls to find fame in the system. Oh, Hal, you didn't sleep quite out there by himself. Doctor, sitting between him and the ravine, quite smoothly, yes. Oh, all right. I'm just getting a light cup of here. It's nearly ready. I've been talking to Clyde about mine. Does it sound like a nice place to visit? Yes, it sounds like the appropriate. Clyde's fascinated with it. Uh-huh. I'm sure all about it. Tell me you're feeling better. I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't go back after a while. What? No, I can't blame the guy. If he found a perfect place to live. Oh. Was there any mention of taking me along? Hmm? No, you didn't get into conversation at all. Hal, you're not just making it up. Well, a lot of good that would do me if he didn't actually get up and go. Well, if he is thinking of returning, he must have been in the world for five years. Look, say, I understand how you feel about a man like Clyde. He's pretty phenomenal compared with me, and, uh, well, I've talked myself into being a good loser, so will you remember that I'm always available? <laughs> I'll keep it very clearly in mind. Along with this idea of a return trip, which is apparently circulating in Clyde's head. Well, that's all I ask. Well, you're on it, Betty, now. Are you sure that Clyde is all right out there? You needn't worry about anything happening to him with that chuckle standing guard. Oh. What's the matter? Did you touch it, sir? I must have put my finger on a thorn. Things are curious. Oh, well, you'll find something in Clyde's laboratory. But please hurry, or the ominous thing. Oh, never mind. The thing isn't going to kill me. Let's see. Oh, but darling, it's your own physician ordered. Think of it, man. You haven't had a shot of your favorite brand for five years, and here you're ordered to take it. Oh, <laughs> very well. Yes, I'll fix it. There's the bottom of the cabinet here. You, uh, you know your way around the house quite well, Hal. Oh, I had to stop around occasionally to keep an eye on your wife, you know, and she made me mix my own drink. I think I would have given you up for lost if it hadn't been for Hal, darling. I am deeply grateful to both of you for waiting me out. 
I fully expected to have Shuttle as the only friend left to me. Oh, you make a much more lasting impression than that. Oh, uh, hey, uh, where, where is Shuttle? No, I didn't think any of it. Apparently not. I'll look in the garden. Last I saw, was sitting beside you with his back to the ravine. You don't suppose it could have slipped over the edge. Take your brandy, old friend. Oh, put it on the table here, Todd. Fine. Better join you if you don't mind. You're welcome to all you want. Why? We need something to stop from the garden. Well, there's a mustard toppled over the edge. Yes. The only thing that would keep him away from me. Would you mind, Hal, taking a light out there and having a look in the ravine? No, no, not now. I, I don't want to leave you. You don't want to leave me? No, oh, I'd stick around. Good, now he happens to my old friend. Well, you didn't have to that bandy bottle. Well, first thing is happening. Well, is there anything wrong? Did you feel all right? Oh, that's everything wonderful, except... Uh, except what? That old prick in my finger. Well, it might be infected, too. You better let me know. No, no, it's nothing. Oh, it is infected. The whole thing's infected. Let me see how. Nothing like that. I never give me a moment's thought. Understand? Hey, hey, Shelton. Who would come back with me? You forget about Shelton. Oh, how is he? Nothing ever happened to you. Oh, Shelton is there. Martians never die. What do you mean by that, Clyde? How do you feel now? Oh, now I'm down the side of you.
Good night. Tales of Tomorrow. Heard in tonight's play were Leslie Wood, Leon Jenny, George Petrie, Lynn Cook, and your host or mentor, Raymond Edward Johnson. Special effects by Ed Blaney and Bob Prescott, engineer, Joe Durante. Music composed and conducted by Bobby Christian. Script adaptation by Don Whitty. Production and direction by Warren Somerville. And now, WBW Theater. Welcome to WBW Theater. Listen to a series of radio dramas, comedies, mysteries, thrillers, westerns, all dedicated to preserving the golden age of radio. Those thrilling days of yesteryear, way back when families gathered together around the living room radio to join the theater of the mind. Listen now, as we take you way back when imagination ruled and creativity had no limits. Listen now to WBW Theater. <laughs> <laughs> 